long would it take you to walk 10 kilometres? Graham? 50 minutes. How about other people? Three hours. Yeah, if you're fit and the terrain is relatively flat, you could probably do it in a couple of three hours, yeah? yeah well, some of us could. <laughs> uh, if you wanted to walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, it's only 10 kilometres. So you could start in the morning and be there in the afternoon. Now, in, in, in January 2019, Giselle and I went on a, a two-week Holy Land pilgrimage. And one of the things that we realised was that the land of Israel is tiny compared to Australia. The whole country is only about 22,000 square kilometres. Now, when you think about that, the metropolitan area of Melbourne is 10,000 square kilometres. And that does not include Melton, Sunbury, Geelong, Pakenham, which is probably, which would probably make close to another 10,000 square kilometres. And so the point is, the land of Israel is tiny. From Dan in the north to Bathsheba in the south, it's only 240 kilometres in length. And for those of us who are used to thinking about distances from Melbourne to Perth, or from Melbourne to Darwin, a visit to the Holy Lands forces you to adopt uh, an entirely different way of thinking. Most of the key events that we read about in the Bible took place within 160 kilometres of Jerusalem. The most important event in the Bible took place 10 kilometres from Jerusalem. 2,000 years ago, Bethlehem was indeed a small, insignificant town. Although well known as the birthplace of King David, the town itself was home to perhaps only 200 permanent residents. So just hold this thought in your mind as we go on. Jerusalem and Bethlehem were literally next door neighbours. The first was a large city. The second a tiny hamlet that would, normally, uh, would not normally be a major destination. But Bethlehem in ancient times was a place that you stayed on the way to a big city. You spent the night in Bethlehem and the next day you walked the 10 kilometres to Jerusalem. 10 kilometres is not that far. And so against that backdrop this morning, we read Matthew's account of the coming of the Magi. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judah, wise men from the east came, from, came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star in, at, at its rising and have come to pay homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and called together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was born. They told him Beth, in Bethlehem of Judah. For so it has been written by the prophets, you and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for you shall come, you sh for you from you shall come a ruler whom is a sh to the shepherd, who is the shepherd, my people Israel. So many questions come to mind when we read this. First one, who is or who were the Magi or the wise men? Where did they come from? How far had they journeyed? How many Magi or wise men came from Jerusalem? Was it three? We don't know. 
What was the star they saw in the east? How did they know what it meant? How did it lead them? Why did they come to worship the king of the Jews? And why was the whole city disturbed or frightened? Now I'm going to focus on just one question that the text does not entirely answer. And that is, why didn't the Jewish leaders go to Bethlehem? Why didn't the Jewish leaders go to Bethlehem? It was so close, only 10 kilometres away. If they knew that the Messiah was to be born there, why didn't they go and check it out for themselves? The Magi knew so little, they came so far and they gave so much. The teachers of the law knew so much, were so near and did so little. It was only just a short journey it was 10 kilometres. If Jesus came to Bacchus Marsh, would you go to see him? Yes. If someone said Jesus was at Rockbank, would you go to greet him? Yes. If, what if Jesus came to dig his rest? Yes. Would you be too busy to go and see him? What if he showed up in Torquay? Would you go to greet him? Yes. These are all comparable distances from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Think of all that the teachers of the law knew about the coming of the Messiah. He would be born the seed of a woman. That's in Genesis 3.15. He would be a descendant of Shem. That's in Genesis 9.26. He would be a seed of Abraham. That's in Genesis 12.1-3. He would be a descendant of Isaac. That's in Genesis 22.18. He would be a descendant of Jacob. That's in Genesis 28.14. He would be of the tribe of Judah. That's in Genesis 49, verse 10. He would be a son of David. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 to 12 and 16. He would be born a virgin. That's in Isaiah 7 to 14. He would be born in Bethlehem. That's in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. So we can summarise in, in five simple statements that the Jewish scholars knew about the Messiah. He would be a Jew. He will come from the tribe of Judah. He will be a descendant of David. And he will be born in Bethlehem. And he will be born of a virgin. Who were the scribes and chief priests and teachers of the law that Herod consulted? Well, we know that they were the best and the brightest minds of the day. As professional students of the Torah of God... They studied the Old Testament day and night. They knew the Word of God. They loved it. They revered it. They, they learnt it. They debated it. And they memorised it. Some of them had memorised the first five books of the Bible in their Hebrew language. Some of them still do that today. Others had memorised the entire, the entire book of Psalms out in, Hebrew, in their Hebrew language. And if they knew the truth, why didn't they go to Bethlehem? When King Herod asked, where the Christ was born, immediately the religious leaders knew the answer. Oh, that's easy. In Bethlehem of Judah, because that's what the prophet Micah had foretold 700 years earlier. So they knew it by heart. They didn't have to look it up. To use a modern term, they didn't have to Google it, did they? If they knew the truth, why didn't they go to Bethlehem? Let me suggest three answers to that question. Why didn't they go to Bethlehem? Because their knowledge made them intellectually lazy. Did you know it's possible to know too much? Is that right, Natalie? It's possible to know too much, isn't it? 
Yeah, you could study so long and compare so many opinions and read so many books and debate so many ideas that you never get around to making a commitment to anything. 2 Timothy 3.7 says, Such a person is always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of truth. Knowledge is good, but at some point you've got to decide what you personally believe. It's not good enough to say, well, I've studied religion and then say, I know what the Hindus believe. I know what the Muslims believe. I listen to all the experts. I've read the latest books and I can logically discuss the merits of all the major denominations. All that is well and good. Whoops. (laughs) But what use is your great knowledge if you never make a personal commitment? Second, their religion made them spiritually indifferent. Or we could say that their ideology, sorry, their ideology made them spiritually indifferent. I know people who cling to their ideologies like it was a religion, and that makes them spiritually indifferent, and I would say even spiritually blind. So answering Herod's question was like playing a game of biblical trivia where you know all the answers in advance. But religion, even good religion, even Bible-based religion, can deaden the heart and mind. It's all, it's, it's all too easy to fall into the trap of saying, well, I'm an Anglican, or I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Lutheran, I'm a brethren, I'm brethren. Just as if going to heaven is determined by a church affiliation. It's all too easy for all of us to play by the rules of whatever church we attend and still keep Jesus at arm's length. As long as Jesus is just a theory to us, just an ideology, he will be of no benefit to us personally. Thirdly, their background made them culturally arrogant. I think this may be the central reason this morning as we discuss this. Let's think about all of this for a moment. One day some strangers show up in your town claiming to have seen a star in the east that led them in search of a baby born the king of the Jews. This is a bizarre story. And who are these blokes anyway? How did they know? How do we know that they're real? Who sent them? Where did they come from? And what was this star? Where is it? We can't seem to see it. Plus, they look different, they talk different, they dress different. Everything about them screams, we're not from around here. No wonder the town of Jerusalem was in an uproar or frightened, as the scripture says. It's always easy, isn't it, to discount people who aren't like us. Charles Spurgeon remarks on the Jewish leaders this way. He says, those who should have been leaders were no leaders. They, they would not even be followers of that which is good, for they had no heart towards Christ. The heart is always the issue this morning. If the heart is not right, no amount of religion can save it. If the heart is not right, no amount of biblical knowledge can make up the difference. John Calvin makes the same point. He says, it is truly an instance of base sluggishness that not one of the Jewish Uh, one of the Jews, sorry, offered himself as an escort to the foreigners to go and see the king who had been promised to their own nation. That's fascinating the way he puts it. He also calls 
the Jewish leaders wicked uh, cause it wicked ingratitude that the Jewish leaders had wicked ingratitude perhaps they feared Herod's anger if they went with the Magi but so what so what about Herod such fear shows how far that the Jews had sunk into a spiritual bondage because they were 10 kilometers away from Jesus they could walk it in two or three hours easily but whether from fear, whether from ingratitude, whether from sluggishness, whether from indifference, the Jewish leaders wouldn't go the 10 kilometres to see Jesus. 10 kilometres. And none of the scribes cared enough to go check out the rumour that the long-awaited Messiah had been born. 10 kilometres from Jesus. 10 kilometres from salvation. 10 kilometres from forgiveness. 10 kilometres this morning from eternal life. They were too busy studying the Bible to see for themselves. And as we read our Gospel text, one fact strikes me above all others. Everybody involved had some basic information. They all knew a baby had been born in Bethlehem and they all knew who the baby was. Herod knew and he tried to kill him. The scribes knew and they ignored him. The wise men knew and they worshipped him. The Bible scholars knew the answer to the question. They knew that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, but their knowledge condemned them all the more this morning because they did not know enough, or they did nothing, sorry, about the truth that they knew. So let's not miss this solemn lesson this morning. It is possible to know a great deal and still miss the truth. So friends, Jesus stands at the end of life's road for all of us. All of us. There can be no middle ground this morning. To ignore Jesus is the same as to hate him because you end up without you end up without him either way. To ignore Jesus altogether means to live as if he didn't matter at all. You can do that by sitting in a church pew. You can do that by watching the church service on the internet. Hello everyone online. But no one can ignore him forever. We all have an appointment with Christ sooner or later. The ultimate question is not how someone else responds, but how you respond to Jesus. Because that's what really matters. Are you with Herod? Are you with the scribes? Are you with the wise men? Are you hostile to Jesus? Are you too busy to get involved? Or are you coming to worship him as Saviour and Lord? As I close, let me encourage you and I want to challenge you this morning as we go. Perhaps some of us have been religious. Maybe people do believe in Jesus, but some of us that believe have never led, that's never led to a, a, a personal commitment, if that's you, uh, amen, come and see me after the service, I'd love to pray with you. It's also possible that the days of Christmas and New Year have been, an, uh, have had a negative, or you've seen a negative effect, uh, and, and those effects have manifested themselves in anger, worry, fear, doubt, and other inner distractions that have drained the joy from your heart because for some of us families are very hard work at Christmas and New Year aren't they? 
And so as so this this morning is an invitation from the Lord to you to open your heart. Let go of the doubts and the fears. Give up the anger. Say farewell to the bitterness. Let go of the things that have changed you, chained you to the past. And so there's a beautiful one sentence prayer that I encourage you to take away with you this morning. And that says, O Lord, make my heart a manger where the Christ child can be born. O Lord, make my heart a manger where the Christ child can be born. Those words come, or those words could change your life today. They could change your life this week. They could, they could change your life this year. Christ never turns away from any heart that is open to him this morning. Those who seek him will find him every time. And may that be your experience on this New Year's Day. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh God, by the leading of a star you manifested your only Son to the peoples of the earth. Lead us who know you now by faith to your presence where we may see your glory face to face through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.